I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. John 10:14 is the beginning, but we're going to read the 23rd Psalm. We're going to talk about the shepherd just a little bit. The shepherd. And uh, I, I think sometimes we get uh, so... I, you know, and I believe, uh, and I'll, I'll get into this in a minute. Let me, let me read, let me read, and let you sit down because if I start talking, I'm liable not quit, and you'll be standing there an hour from now. So, John ten fourteen, John ten fourteen, I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. Now, the twenty third Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. Let's do this differently. How many of us got this memorized? All right. Will you help me? I'm afraid. I've got it memorized. I'm afraid I'll mess up, so I'm going to read it while you're doing it in my memory. Are you ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that a good one? I don't think it, it ever grows old. You may be seated. You may be seated. I, uh, I think the, the connection uh, the, between the Lord and his people can never be described any better than it is in the 23rd Psalm. And I, I started to say a little earlier, I, I have a, a desire, and, and one of the reasons that I, feel, I felt very strongly about <clears throat> it's time for me to give up my role as, as a pastor is so that I can get into some, some deeper things with God, deeper spiritually. I had that desire for some time and felt like God had called me to that. But on the other side of that, Sometimes I think that we can have a desire to be so spiritual that we forget the love relationship between the Lord and his sheep, his people. And there's a comfort that that comes with that knowledge. There's a comfort to know that the Lord is always with me and that he's always watching out for me that he sees me in my darkest hour, that he, he knows uh, and rejoices with me when everything is, is good, and that he is the reason that I, I live, as the Bible says in the 17th chapter of Acts, that I live and move and have my being. He is the purpose in all that. And, and I think that that is probably uh, one thing that all of us, we go back to that. No matter how far we seem to be, be going, that there's a time... 
I, you know, maybe some of you will understand this, maybe you won't. But there's times that we, we get to, to want to understand God to such an extent that we, we move out into the areas of Scripture and we ponder and we pray and we fast. And, and it, it seems like that we get to a point where we can't go any further or almost we become, which I, I hate to use this term, but we almost become fearful because we've got out here and we're not sure where to go from this point. That's when we go back to just the fact that he's there and he's my shepherd and he's never going to leave me and no matter how far out on the uh, on the edge of the cliff I may get he's right there and, and I, I know that I do that and maybe some of you do maybe some of you don't but that's just the best way for me to describe it a, um, a missionary uh, left this, this thing here in the lesson I thought was really good and they lived in a in a German village near the foot of the Alps. And it said a shepherd lived across the street from them. And in true German fashion, the sheep lived beneath the living quarters of the farmhouse. And every morning when the shepherd entered the yard, the sheep would gather around him. And it said he would lead them to pasture up the rolling hills of that particular area in the Alps. And uh, this missionary was saying one thing that stood out was that the sheep's reaction. They crowded around the shepherd, sometimes nudging others out of the way just to get close, just to get close to him. And they delighted to be in his presence and eager to receive whatever he had to offer. And, and the, this missionary made this statement. He said, watching them reminded me of how I should strive to get close to, to, the, to the great shepherd and to feast on the good things that he provides. Now, when it comes to the term feasting, that is America's favorite pastime. Got That's the best thing I've said already, isn't it? Feasting is America's pastime. Now, let's let's take that a step further. Your dietitians are quick to point out what is wrong with our diets and to recommend changes. They seem to think that they know what is best for us. The problem with the dietitian, and I was in the hospital one time, a dietitian came up, and they told me all these things I needed to drink and eat. And, you know, and I, I had that MRSA business going. And so they sent this stuff. I don't know what it was. It was something to drink. Well, I thought, I'll try this. And honestly, it tasted worse than anything I've ever, I've ever had in my mouth. So, so I said, uh, forget this, bring the ice cream. And, and that's exactly what they, they, you know, they, they want you to eat stuff that has no sodium, no sugar, no carbs, and no fats. And we are Americans. And they, what they recommend may be good for us, but we're not going to eat that stuff. Absolutely, we're not going to eat it. And, and that sometimes applies to us in a spiritual sense. We enjoy the blessings of God and we seek more, but, but shy away from the hardships and the trials. We prefer to pick and choose from God's larder provisions. However, we really need to trust the great shepherd to provide what is best for us, knowing that the shepherd sometimes prepares his table in the presence of our enemies. And we need to understand that. Now let's, take this, let's break this down just a bit, if we can, here this morning. In examining Psalm 23, we should keep in mind three distinct aspects. Number one... It's a vivid picture of the shepherd and his relationship to his sheep. 
Number two, the spiritual application as it applies to Jesus Christ and Christians. And number three, the lesson it communicates about the relationship between the pastor of a local assembly and the members of his congregation. The shepherd's care for his sheep, motivated by his great love for them, is the theme of Psalm 23. And David, David compared the Lord to a shepherd who provides and protects the sheep. And, as, and this, this happens as we walk through life. And he's with us, and he's always caring and providing for our needs. And he knows our name. That's the one thing that's very important to me. I, I believe God knows my name. Everybody else may not know my name. And, you know, and I may get around the people of the hierarchy of the UPC, and they won't know my name. But one thing about it, Jesus Christ knows my name. And one, he knows each and every one of ours' name. And regardless of who you are and how little you may think you are in his sight, he knows who you are. He knows who you are. He knows you by name. First statement of the psalmist is, is possibly the most important of the entire psalm. For there, David declared the identity of the shepherd. All the blessings stated in the 23rd Psalm are conditional upon the person of the shepherd. Individuals, individuals must know the Lord as their shepherd, and he must know them. David declared that his shepherd was the Lord, Jehovah, his maker, and the one to whom he belonged. The personal pronoun, my is meaningful in, in, in his declaration, for it expressed a, a personal and an intimate relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. It's almost like it's a possessive thing. He's mine. That doesn't mean that he's not all of ours. But in, in, in all of our way of thinking, we need to know he is mine. He belongs to me. He's, he's my king. He's my shepherd. He's the he's he's all of these wonderful things that we could we can go and, and call him. He he's 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 all of that to us. He's my shepherd. And if I can understand that and I know Jesus Christ is my shepherd, then everything else is going to work out just fine for me, regardless of what I have to endure. He's my shepherd. If I'm going through a, a really hard time financially, if I'm going through a hard time physically, if my health is deteriorating, I still have my shepherd who knows my condition and he's aware of everything that I'm enduring. Do you believe that? Give him a good hand clap of adoration. Would you do that with me? The Bible describes the Lord as being our good and our great shepherd. The scriptures also declare that he is the chief shepherd. So we look at these terminologies, he's the good shepherd, he's the great shepherd, and he is the chief shepherd. Let's look at the good shepherd for a moment. John 10, 11 through 14, again, I'm paraphrasing it through here. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Now, a good shepherd cares deeply for his sheep. He doesn't think of only his own welfare, but that of his flock. He loves each sheep in his flock, and he can call each one by name. His sheep know his voice, and they love him. It's interesting, and I've, uh, I've, my dad had talked about shepherds, a person that he knew had, had kept sheep uh, years ago. 
and I've I've read several books about shepherds and uh, through the years. But uh, a tourist one, once watched two shepherds lead their flocks to the riverbank to drink. And there seemed to be hundreds of sheep, and they were all mingled together. And the tourist wondered how the shepherds was ever going to be able to separate their flocks. And eventually, one shepherd started off, and he softly began calling his sheep as he walked. And his entire flock separated themselves from the flock and uh, the other flock and followed him just by simply speaking. Just lightly speaking, they knew his voice, and they separated themselves and began to follow him. And that, uh, that alone makes you, makes you wonder, you know, no matter where you are, where, who you're among, you know, how bad the situation may be, and people who absolutely you know, have nothing to do with what you are, yet he can speak, he can speak your name, and you're going to hear that voice. No matter how much other people are clamoring, no matter how much society is clamoring, you are going to hear the voice of the shepherd. Has anybody ever, ever experienced what I'm talking about? Have you just heard him speak your name before in the midst of some very difficult times? Have you ever heard that? Anybody? Raise your hands if you have. You're just good. Good. I, don't, don't, ever, don't ever let that get away from you. Because sometimes when you, you get back in situations and and uh, and you wonder if everything's going to be okay. I, I, I go by way of remembrance. I, I said I've kept a, a journal up for for years, and I go back and read that thing. When the things are hard, I read it, and and I go to those parts where I've been in this position before, and and God has delivered me, and I've heard His voice, and by hearing His voice, I knew how to separate myself from that situation. And that's the true, I, I was, uh, this morning I was, uh, I was praying. Actually, I was, I guess praying is talking to God. I sometimes separate it. I, 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 was, I was talking to God. And because and, uh, this, what I just mentioned to you earlier about a, a difference in my ministry has really been on my heart a lot. And, and I, was, I was going back in my mind to, uh, and I know I, I speak a great deal about my great aunt, but stories that she told. And back in the, uh, of course, she's been dead for some time, and she was old when she died. She was in her 90s. And uh, she talked about stories, horse and wagon stories, and about healings and, and so forth that occurred uh, with her and her, her late, her husband had passed away some years prior. And... Um, and I, I was just, I was pondering, I was talking to God. I said, God, what? I said, how is it, what is the difference between them and us? And I know we can mention a lot. They didn't have as much. They didn't, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have all the entertainment that we've got. They didn't have anything to, to catch their mind. But then the one thing that really stuck out with me was what she told about her husband and inasmuch as that he was in constant contact with God, he always was talking to him. She said that he would, the neighbors would say that he, his horse and wagon would be going across, and he'd be standing up with his arms up praying, and he would fall out, out of the wagon. And the horse would stop because it was trained so well until he got out of the spirit and back into the wagon. And, you know, you can look at that and we can laugh, but there's something to that. It's, the, it's, it's being in contact with God. 
going back to that statement where, where, you know, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that word being rhema. I've, I've taught on that before. You know, the, the Bible is logos. The word, the spoken word is rhema. Now, I know we can say that the spoken word uh, can be when the logos, the, the, the written word, is preached and it becomes a rhema. And I believe that. But, and I think that adds to it. But I also think that there's more to it than that. I think that when, when you're in contact with God to that extent, that you're going to hear the voice of God. And you're going to hear how He wants you. The, the clarity is there because you listen. And the clarity is in as much as that you know, okay, now I'm going down here and I'm going to pray for Roxanne, and, and, and I know that God wants to. Now, I know the Bible speaks of it. Healing is a, uh, a part of our doctrine. We believe it is part of the Word of God. It's a principle. It's there. It's for us. It's part of the covenant. But, but I also believe that there's times that God is doing other things that we don't understand. But if I'm in tune with the Spirit of God, then I can know when things are right. But that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen with just a haphazard relationship with God. And so, so, so with it, I, I, I go back to hearing in the shepherd's voice, and he was able to call softly to the sheep. And, and those sheep would, they, you know, they would come to him. And, and that is, uh, you know, he called them by name. And the tourist then, and let me finish this story. And then the tourist that watched this happen then spoke to the remaining shepherd and requested permission to call the sheep to him. Now, this tourist put on the shepherd's tunic, and he imitated the shepherd's voice. And he called softly as the shepherd did. Now, this says that he said, Mene, Mene, which is, you go to the book of Daniel, Mene, Mene means it's Aramaic, and it means uh, number. That's actually what it means. Your days, Belshazzar, your days are numbered. And Mene Mene means that. Now, why that particular uh, phrase was used, Mene Mene, number, number, I'm not sure, unless there's something else in the meaning. But I looked it up, and I, I thought, you know, that was kind of strange. But anyway, but to his disappointment, the sheep scattered in the opposite direction. Uh, without his tunic, the shepherd called softly to the sheep, and they came running to him. They knew the voice of the shepherd. It wasn't just what the shepherd looked like. It didn't matter. You could imitate the shepherd, put on his clothes, and you could imitate his voice, but there was a certain tone that those sheep responded to. Are, are you getting where I'm going here? There is a tone to God's voice. And if we don't have that tone down, and the only way to know that is to listen for that voice and listen to what that voice says. And this is where the Scripture comes in. You've got to be sure that that voice is in harmony with the Bible, with the written Word of God. There is so many people out there that have been fooled by false shepherds, false voices, demonic voices, demons. Let's just put it right down where it belongs. We're walking out of... Hilltop yesterday, and uh, there was a post where the Tivoli Theater was hosting a medium come in and yeah yeah you know here I I every time I think we got a we got these these things put down a little bit this thing pops back up host come and get in contact with a departed loved one that's what it said on the poster 
Uh, you're tell- these are voices out there, and people are falling for that. I am not going to be in connection with a departed loved one. I am in connection with the one to where I want my loved one to go. Are you with me? That's where we need. We're in connection with the one who takes care of us. We're in connection with the great shepherd. That's what's important. A lot of voices out there, but these sheep knew the voice of their shepherd. Now, a good shepherd will never leave his sheep in times of storms or other dangers. He willingly braves violent storms, battles wild animals in order to protect his sheep. David experienced this for, uh, experienced this for as a young man, he had slain a lion, he had slain a bear, he delivered a lamb out of the mouth of the lion in 1 Samuel 17:34. Love is, love is certainly the great motivating force proceeding from the heart of a good shepherd. Love causes the shepherd to go hungry, to face angry storms, and to endure freezing blizzards in order to find one straying sheep. One of our Lord's well-known parables involved one lost sheep that strayed from a flock of 100. The shepherd left the 99 in order to go and find the one lost sheep. Now, when the shepherd found the sheep, he carried it back in arms of love and called his friends to rejoice with him. Such is the love and the personal sacrifice that's demonstrated by the heart of of a good shepherd. Now, this is a good shepherd. Let's look now at the great shepherd. Let's look at the great shepherd. Hebrews 13, verse 20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. The characteristic of a, of a great shepherd is that he has the power and the strength to protect and deliver those who put their trust in him. Believers are able to rest in peace under the watchful eye of the great shepherd who is able to deliver them from every danger. As the sheep feel secure and have no fear when the shepherd is present to watch over them, so believers have security and confidence in Jesus Christ. David expressed his confidence in the Lord when he exclaimed, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Just the presence of the the great shepherd was sufficient to remove all uneasiness and fear. Just the presence of the great shepherd. Always around when I do my Halloween bash, which I will do it this year. I cannot not do the Halloween bash. I was trying to get off the addiction to the Halloween bash, but I can't. I'm addicted to it. Um, I, I, I always have told this story before, and, it, and you're thinking of, of fear, how, how it can uh, just paralyze you. Uh, there's one little boy that, and, and some of you probably can relate to this, but one little boy that his mom and dad sometimes sent him out to the barn, but there was no lights in the barn. And the, uh, in the, when he went out there, of course, there was cattle, there was horses they had. And he said there was no light, so he went out there to whatever he did, but he, the movement of the, of the animals in the barn would spook him. And he, he was just really, whatever he had to do, he did it and <laughs> ran back home. But that changed when his dad went with him. Even though it was just as dark, same animals were there, but his dad was there. And, and, and with that, the fear left him. Now, um, I've told this, and Brother Fox knows who I'm talking about. When we had a lady living in Sanders that told the great ghost stories. Myrtle, you remember. And uh, I was up there as a kid. Uh, I, you know, participated in the Halloween. It's always around Halloween I did this, and... She told these stories 
she told these stories as true. Now this, and she would get upset if you questioned what she told. But I never, I never really got, I never got fearful. In fact, there was other people I used to leave a little early and wait on the others to leave and do bad things to scare them. And uh, <clears throat> it came back on me one time. I uh, <laughs> I went home. Got uh, went up. I, was, I slept upstairs. Went upstairs, laying in the bed. And that day, and I'd forgotten it. That day, uh, mom and dad had gotten a cat and two kittens, and the kittens were white. And I was in bed, and all of a sudden, up those old hollow wooden stairs, thump, 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 coming right up just as fast as it could. And I'm laying there saying, "This can't be happening," you know. I, and I look at my door and something white comes flashing in and jumps right here on my chest. That dude quadruple bypass on a 12-year-old. <laughs> you know. Man, when I figured it was a cat, I grabbed, well, we don't want to hear what I did. I better move on. Humane society will be after me. So it doesn't pay to, to try to scare other people. You know, it pays to, to, keep your, to keep your mind on what's important because it's just like the father with the son. If we know that in every situation that the good shepherd, the great shepherd, is going to be with us, if we know that, we have absolutely nothing to fear, nothing to fear at all. People and sheep are alike, and they may be afraid of certain or uncertain, let me put it that way, shadows. However, shadows can do no harm. For example, death is an enemy that sometimes casts a long shadow ahead of it. Nevertheless, the shadow of death cannot hurt us. It's possible for a believer to say, I will fear no evil, for you, the great shepherd, are with me. Even though the valley of the shadow of death, all fear will be gone, even through that, excuse me, will be gone because of the presence of the great shepherd. The great shepherd, and this is, this is, this is what Paul was telling the Corinthian church. He said, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. Let's, let, 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 let's, let's, let's talk about that a minute. The sting of death is sin. David said, we'll pass through the valley of the shadow of death and not have any fear. But yet, we do have fear to some extent. It's something we've never encountered before, something we've never done. And, and, and we've never passed through that particular place. But yet, can we achieve that place where the shadow of death, no longer bothers us. Just the, the, the very shadow of it. Can we, can we approach that? Can we, can we get there? So if the sting of death is sin, is, is it the point that sin that we've committed makes us fear death? Or is it the very fact that we fear death, sin? Anybody? How about you, ministry? There's no trick question. I'm, I'm asking. I need to know. I need to know. Is it a sin to fear death? Or is it a matter of because we have sinned that we fear death? Uh -huh. What's that? You think it is the last one? Huh? 
Okay, we have a one believes it could be the second one that it's it's a sin to fear death. The other one feels like it's sin that possibly we're not gotten rid of or not but repented of. Anybody else? Go ahead. And this is unsaved people. Okay. But let's take this to the saved people. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. Gift of God is, take a little bit further, gift of God is eternal life. So, so do we go back to, go ahead. Because God knows exactly where we are at that time, because He is our shepherd, and 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 you know, with that, I, I think that everybody does have this sense because you've never been there before. But then you you go back. Now I know this is not biblical, but you go back to to what legend says about the Apostle Paul that he ran to the chopping block to have his head removed. So he ran because he wanted. Is it, is it possible that because we've got life so easy, Paul, look what he endured, preaching the gospel. And yet when just a few things crop up in our lives, we're ready to backslide. I mean, that's not, that's not giving our life and trusting our well-being to the great shepherd when we have those kind of feelings. I'm not. I'm not got this. I'm not got this down wholeheartedly. You know, I, I can't tell you exactly that I won't have some fear at death. I don't. I don't want to. You had your hand up. All fear. Exactly right. I t- they shouldn't be. You're right. I, I go ahead, Brother Gillespie. I can't hear you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to come down.
She had her hands up, I remember, saying, Jesus is forever. You, could, you had to get your head all the way down next to her. Jesus is forever. There was no fear at all in her. Uh, my dad passed away. I, you know, he was in a coma. But my wife and I were there. And you could feel an angelic presence. You could feel it. You knew it was there. And there's been others. And this is, this is where I tend to lean towards um, the sting of death, fearing. The sting of, you know, the sting of death is sin. I, I tend to lean towards fearing death being sinful. I, I lean there heavily because, uh, I, I, and please understand, I, I'm not trying to be mean to anybody or try to take away anything. That's just my, my take on it. But I guess this has been something that for a long, a long time I've, I've sat with people and, and seen them die and seen different reactions to it. And I've seen people who have been very fearful that have lived for God for years. And, I, and you know, I can't, and when I say that, I, I can't say that I wouldn't, part of my feeling, leaving family. Uh, you know, that would be difficult for me, leaving family. But on the other side of it, I want my family to see me going out of this life the right way. That, that's important to me. Not being fearful because they know what I've got is real. And that, that's the most important. Anybody else got anything to add? Go ahead. Wouldn't you agree, all of you, that the exact opposite of faith is fear? The exact opposite is fear. And, and, and there we go back, you know, fear hath torment. So, so we, I, I, I believe we can get close enough to God to not be that way. If, if they could do it in the, in the Bible, and I could see people, and, and there again, you know, I, I, I'm... I, I just seen it. It seemed to me a generational thing that that people who didn't have as much, people who had seen some of the great things and great miracles of God, they were anxious to go on. They were anxious and, and no fear whatsoever. And then I, it seems like then it, we, it, it got to the point where you see people who shouldn't be fearful of death having more fear. And I hope and pray that if something happens to me, then I get fearful that she slaps a fire out of me and tells me to shut up and get it together. You know? <laughs> yeah, I can count on you. So, <laughs> everybody give her a hand clap while I get up here again. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Okay.
a reverence for God, knowing fear not he that can destroy the body, but rather he that can throw both body and soul into hell. Go ahead. Say that again so I can hear you. Now you're opening up a whole different can of worms there, and it's not it's not it's, it's it's okay. Let me just let's bring it out. Is it possible? Is it possible? And I'm sorry if I'm getting off, but I, I I'm liking this. Is it possible that the flesh, the body, can hang on past the time that the spirit leaves? Is it possible? I've seen. I've seen people who, in, in, in comas, you know, a lot of medication, whatever it may be, that their hearts beat, but it seemed to me like they weren't there. And they hung on to life so tenaciously that, that it just, they didn't want to let go. And I, I've seen families that, that, you know, they didn't, and this is this is my take on it. The families did not want to let that person go. And I think that person understood, or some part of them somehow uh, understood, and they hung on. You know, I'm not saying that what I'm saying is accurate. I'm just wondering: Is it possible for a person to do that? Is it possible for that person, a part of them, to be in heaven? And you've all heard it. You've heard people say that they seen they seen visions in heaven, but yet. They came back. So is it possible to be there but yet not be quite dead in the flesh? What do you think? Okay. So then by thinking that way, we could justify abortion. Well, I'm saying, though, but by thinking that the that, that that flesh could live without the spirit, that would be justifying abortion. Well, I'm just a question. <laughs> no, well, I understand what you're saying. But I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with that. I'm agreeing that, that there could be. But I'm talking, when I, when I say this, I'm not talking about hours i'm talking about minutes seconds where there's a there's a, a, a lapse where the spirit could leave but yet the body is just trying to hang on a little bit longer i know that, there's no answer to the question i i just there's been things that and what you said was good because that made me think that there is that that person could justify abortion by that way of thinking anybody else go ahead
To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yeah. And I think that I think it possibly can be a person can be almost in two worlds in the act of the transition. I believe that can happen, but it's not going to last any length of time. It's, you're going to go one way or the other. It's got to happen. And I believe there can be a transition. And that's, that's what, because there again, it's just a matter of what you see. I remember... I remember uh, Kenneth Reeves telling me when he was here that uh, he, he had had a heart attack and he died. And he floated about and seen, uh, they, they, he, he said he floated above, could see his body down below. And the, and the, uh, uh, the yeah, paramedics, get my brain going here, it was in the process of hitting him in the heart with adrenaline. And he said and everything that was within him, he tried to communicate to let it go, leave it alone. But they hit him, and he said he felt like it was a vacuum. He said he felt like it was sucked right back into his body. And he lived several years after that. Uh, but, you know, there again, he was on his way. There was that, that period of time, that period of time. And, you know, and the body was not, I guess it would have been dead, but he was still close by the body. So, you know, there again, it goes back. The absent from the body is present with the Lord. Well, it was a good, uh, good discussion. Very good. Let's get back to where I was supposed to be going. How's that? All right. Let's look at the chief shepherd. When a chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The expression chief shepherd simply means that there are other shepherds whom we frequently call under shepherds. Now, the characteristics and qualities of the under shepherd should resemble those of the chief shepherd. Every pastor of a local assembly should as far as possible, be like Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. That's what being a Christian is all about. The work of a shepherd is primarily that of a feeder. The shepherd loves to see the sheep well-fed and content. Sheep that are well-fed are satisfied. They lay down in the shade to rest and to ruminate. The shepherd is happy to see his sheep satisfied. Now, a true and sincere pastor will have the heart of his shepherd, and he'll rejoice when the believers are content and well-fed. He's deeply concerned about the welfare of every member of the congregation and never lose a member of that congregation without feeling heartbroken. And that is the truth. In Ezekiel 34, there is a strong admonition to all under shepherds. And now the Lord pronounced a woe upon shepherds who were guilty of several faults. And I want you to listen to these. Uh, these are very important. These are the faults. They feed themselves instead of feeding the flock. They eat the fat. They clothe themselves with wool. They kill the sheep that are fed. They have not strengthened the diseased. They have not healed that which was sick. They have not bound up that which was broken. They have not brought again that which was driven away. They have not sought that which was lost. They have ruled with force and with cruelty. The under-shepherd must give an account to the chief shepherd. And it's no light matter to be held responsible for the welfare of the people of God. However, the pastor need not fear this as long as he allows God to fill his heart with love for his people. God chose to use sheep as an analogy of his, of his followers because sheep and humans are similar in many ways. Like sheep, humans tend to go with the majority opinion. They are gullible. They often lack wisdom. And despite our weakness, however, the good shepherd loves us and he's given his life for us. 
Further, his sacrificial death on the cross bought, bought us and provided for our redemption. We belong to him. He knows each of us, and he calls us by name. And Psalm 100, verse 3, it says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God, and he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And not only must the shepherd know his sheep and love them, but the sheep must know their shepherd and love him. It must be a relationship of trust and confidence. The sheep follow the shepherd and allow him to choose their path. This leads to a state of peace and confidence where they're content, well-fed, and healthy. Uh, being how people and sheep are quite a bit alike, I re- remember a, a story my dad had told me, and we, we go back to the fear issue for a moment. He said that uh, a guy that he knew had several, several. And I, I, when he said several, I don't know, fifty, hundred sheep, but he said that they, they were all over this particular field, and he said they were fenced in very well. But he said a pack of dogs got to the fence and began to circle that they couldn't get to the sheep. But they barked, and he said that every one of those sheep died of a heart attack. They actually were scared to death. Because this pack of dogs was circling them. They couldn't touch them, but scared them to death. There again, there is a great analogy right there with how sometimes the devil does nothing but make a roaring lion sound. And all people drop by the, by the wayside because of a lot of noise. You look at society today. Isn't society, uh, isn't it the same with, with, with these people out here that are promoting evolution, that are promoting uh, all of these anti-Christian stuff, some of the stuff you were talking about down in Houston, Texas, uh, politics, all these things. We, we, we watch these things. We read these things. And we begin to think that everything's fallen apart. And it's nothing more than a noise. If there was anything that is a roaring lion, it's the media today. Now, I guarantee you that if you go back and you do a little research on what a roaring lion's about, it's a pride of lions. The female lions will get in front of a group of gazelle, and they'll begin to roar and run them the other direction. And guess who's waiting on the other side? It's the male lions. And they take them down. So it's, it's, it's all this is to try to get us to run, to try to get us to have a heart attack. And I, I believe that, that goes along with Matthew 24 and men's heart failing them with the things they see coming up on the world. You know, we, we, we listen too much to what everybody else says and don't listen enough to what the Word of God says. We need to have joy in spite of everything falling apart. Our joy should be full all the time. Because regardless of what happens out there, the, the great shepherd is leading us on the pathway to heaven. And that's enough to make us all happy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. Psalm 23, 2. The shepherd's responsibility to watch the pasture so it, it does not become overly grazed. Now, one thing about sheep, they will eat everything right down below the dirt line. They will absolutely, that's the reason that all the, the cattlemen out west hated the shepherds, hated the people bringing sheep down, because they destroyed, the, they destroyed all the grasslands. They'll lead it right down to nothing. So when the grass becomes thin and scarce, the shepherd <coughs> excuse me, must find fresh pasture. When the sheep are led into fresh green pastures, they exhibit their delight. They're happy about it. The expression, maketh me to lie down, is not referring to a physical force compelling the sheep to lie down. It is a statement referring to the conditions 
the shepherd is, has brought about. Now think about this. If, if the shepherd makes everything good and easy for them, it's easy for the sheep to lie down content and to chew their good. So that's exactly what this is saying. He maketh me lie down. It's not forcing me. But he's making everything the right way. Everything is, 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 is good, and so they can lie down and be contented. He leadeth me beside the still waters. I read in a, a book one time where um, they used this term, and this book said that what that was saying was that there was a bunch of old stagnant water around, and the shepherd led them past. They were thirsty, but it led them past the stagnant water because the stagnant water would kill them. And so they trusted him more than they trusted their own or give in to their own thirst. That's, that's not a bad analogy, but that's not what it means. Uh, you look it up, and it, it's just simply saying that these were quietly flowing streams of fresh water. He leads me, leadeth me beside the still waters. The waters were just quietly flowing. They were clear. They were clean. So he leads them to the clean, flowing water. It's a will of God that each member of a church enjoys serenity of heart. Now, I, if there's anything that I'm for, I, I, I'm for this. We cannot allow us, the society that's around us. We need to get ourselves so focused and into the Word of God and into the, 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 the Scripture, into the spiritual things, that we are not allowing these things to rob us of our serenity. I'm, I, I, I want to be happy on my way to heaven. And, and, you know, years ago, years ago, you saw people that they used to shout when they, they talked about the times that we're living in now. When they talked about the ability, you know, back when we used to think 666 was some big number stamped on the forehead. You know, they didn't have the ability. I was, you know, I think I was pastoring during that time. They didn't have the ability to put the chip under the hide and all this kind of stuff. But now that we see all this stuff coming about, we see people fearful again. No serenity, no joy. And we used to shout about that time. What's happened to us? There again, we go back to that same thing. We need to rejoice in that we're living in that time. And I know that we've all, we've all got people that we know and we love that, that are not serving God but there's never going to be a time when that's not occurring. There's always going to be some of those people that are not serving God. So we, you know, we need to rejoice. If there's anything I think people are looking for on the outside, they're looking for a church here, and they're looking for people, for sheep, if you would, that, that are happy in their situation. Not walking around being fearful and wondering what's going to happen next. You know, it's, going to, it's all going to fall apart one of these days, but before it falls apart, I'm going to be gone. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm planning on being raptured out of here, taken out of here, caught out of here. That's what this is all about. And we cannot, we cannot lose our joy because of what we see going on around us. It's got to happen. That doesn't mean that we necessarily, you know, with me, I, I always... I always look at people and I think, how can you be so stupid as to not see what's going on around you? That's the worst thing I have to deal with. It's just the anger that people are not more aware. And for us not to, you know, we need to be happy about this. We need to be happy that we could very well be the generation that is caught away. And that alone should give us something that uh, we need to rejoice about. So he leadeth us past, or excuse me, he leadeth us beside the still waters. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. 
In leading the sheep to the high tablelands where they will feed, the shepherds must lead them through deep valleys. Frequently, the dark valleys are, are the only roads that lead to the higher ground. They're often rocky, difficult, but they're still the best way to reach the mountaintop. And there are all kinds of dangers in the valleys. There are coyotes, there's bears, there's wolves, there's cougars. They hide, hide on the mountainside waiting for an opportunity to pounce on unsuspecting sheep. In the valley, there may be sudden storms, flash floods. Still, the valley through which a shepherd leads a sheep is the right way. Paths of righteousness are right paths because they lead to the desired destination, which for the believer is heaven. Other paths may appear right, but they ultimately lead to destruction. Before David declared he, had led, he was led in the paths of righteousness, he exclaimed this, and this is very good. He said, he restoreth my soul in Psalm 23.3. There were times when David had to be restored. He strayed upon the wrong path, and God had to bring him back to the right road. After he fell into the sins of adultery and murder, the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to confront David with a parable to illustrate his wrongdoing. And Nathan concluded his message to David with the word, start, it was a declaration. He said, Thou art the man, David, in 2 Samuel twelve seven, David knew, key here, David knew how to repent. And he prayed, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation in Psalm 51:12. Every time David required restoration, he knew to give credit to the shepherd for restoring him. It wasn't a matter of I made myself right. He knew that he was restored by the great shepherd. He knew that. That's one of the things when you look at David, it, you know looking at David gives me a lot of hope. It really does. When you see what David did, and you, you need to study closely how he repented because every one of us needs to repent. And we need to repent all the time. At least uh, maybe you don't. I do. I just need to, I need to be there. I need to feel that restoring. I need to feel that, that everything's going to be okay with me. And I need to, to give the glory to the great shepherd. It is the work of the shepherd, not only to bring the strange sheep back into the right path, but also to keep them there. The Lord is our shepherd. He promises to watch over us and to guide each and every one of us. Isaiah thirty twenty one says, And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk you in it when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. We must be willing to follow the great shepherd and allow him to choose our path. And he alone knows the way that leads to the righteousness and redemption. When we follow him, there's no need for fear. The Lord will guide his people, care for their needs, and deliver them from evil. If the Lord Jesus Christ is leading the way, it's a path of righteousness, a right road, a highway of holiness that will lead to the new Jerusalem. Let's look at a shepherd's provision for a moment. The shepherd chooses a strong, young sapling. I, when I, I, I looked at this, I remembered as a kid, I didn't know about this would come to shepherd, but somehow I figured this out. You know, I was always, I was always, uh, my heroes back then was Conan the Barbarian, people like that. You know, that was my heroes. And so I, I, I go in the woods and I found, uh, my dad had showed me how to identify ironwood. And I, I was also smart enough to dig under this, this tree, about this big around. And underneath it, cut the roots away and there was a ball right there. And I cut that and had me a war club. And it was a good one. 
And so I went around beating people in the head. Well, not, not real people, but, you know, pretend people, <laughs> beating them in the head and doing all these things. And, and, and actually, this is what the staff was. Or not the staff, I'm sorry. It's what the rod was for the shepherd, that he would go and he would cut the root system away and have a ball. And this was what he used. This was for protection. Uh, and, and, the, and the sheep would realize that this was symbolic of how he would protect them. And, and you know, you, you, you look at some of this. A shepherd's rod is his weapon. It's his power, authority, and his defense. And through, and through Moses' use of his rod, God performed miracles, for his rod was a symbol of authority. The shepherd used his rod to protect the sheep by driving off predators and by disciplining wandering sheep. He would use it on them and return them to the fold. The shepherd also used his rod to count the sheep. He held the rod over the door of the sheepfold, and each sheep had to pass under the rod, and he would count it uh, as it passed under the rod to enter the fold. Now, the staff was a shepherd's crook. It had a curved section, a hook at the end. The staff was a symbol of the shepherd's love, his concern, and his long-suffering. He used the staff to lift newborn lambs and return them to their mothers. And sometimes sheep would get caught in brambles, and his staff better enabled the shepherd to free them. With his staff, he could easily break away the brambles and lift the imprisoned sheep to safety. The shepherd also used the staff to draw a sheep close to him for examination. Further, he used the staff to guide his sheep. Together, the rod and the staff of the shepherd represents the word of God and the discipline they provide for believers. There are times when we require discipline. Does anybody ever just require discipline? You know, the Bible speaks of that in Hebrews twelve six: For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If he's going to receive us, we're going to be scourged occasionally. It's just the way God does things. The Lord never disciplines his wayward children without his ministering word. So the, the, so the rod represented the discipline, but the staff represented the word of God, which gives us hope. So God always ministers his word to, to, to the people he disciplines, and the staff always accompanied the rod. The shepherd used both of them in a similar fashion. And, and the Lord uses discipline and his word to build faith in his children to guide them back to the path of righteousness. God help us to come back to the right kind of faith. You know, faith that doesn't waver, not a false faith, not a, not a, uh, not a faith in man, not, a, you know, not faith in faith. You hear the word faith bantered around all the time where it becomes faith in faith. You hear doctors talk, oh, I believe in faith, but it's just a positive thinking. No, it's not with me. My faith is not in faith. My faith is not in, in people. My faith is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And if my faith is in Him and Him alone, everything's going to be okay because He's the great shepherd that's leading me out of some of these messes I get into. So we move on. The table and the cup. The shepherds frequently took their sheep to pasture on high plateaus or tablelands. It was necessary for the shepherd to prepare the pasture before he ever led the sheep. He would go up there and he would kill all the weeds that could poison them. He had to know what he was doing. He would clean out watering holes. He would do this before he ever took the sheep to the high pasture. And he also supplied the sheep with salt and with minerals. And after the shepherd inspected and prepared the pasture, he led his sheep to the tableland. 
As the sheep graze in his fresh pasture, the wolves and the coyotes watch from the surrounding rocks and hills. I guarantee you that there was more than that. Everything that could eat his sheep was watching from the, from the sidelines there. He prepared a table before them in the presence, for them in the presence of their enemies. He, he, they were there. There was, there was eagles would take a sheep. A lot of times that's not brought up, but they will take a sheep. They still do today. You realize how big some of these eagles are. You can understand that. So, so in this, the, the, the great shepherd prepared a place for them with the enemies, with the predators watching. You know, they may watch with envy and desires that people of God enjoy the blessings of the Lord and feast upon. We have that today. We can have people that will, that will run you down. They'll try to take advantage of you, try to make you slip up. They'll do all of these things. But in reality, they're looking at you with envy. Because you have something that they don't have. And you have a hope that is deeply embedded in your heart that they do not have. Don't ever take for granted what you have and just the life that you're living. You know, I, I want us all to be able to take what we've got and, and, and give it to others. But if you're not able to say it verbally, sometimes just simply living it and showing the joy of it all will make them come to you and say, how is it that you can live this way and speak this way in the presence or what? things are going on around you and you can say it's because the great shepherd is leading me every step of the way and i've got a road that i'm on right now that he is he's prepared a place for me and i'm walking on that road and i'm going to heaven and i'm not going to back down from that and guess what you can have the same thing that i've got the same hope that i have god help us to have joy don't take don't take our our, our troubles and our our, our problems in, in the church don't take them out and give them to somebody else if you've got a bellyache about something, go to prayer and bellyache to God. Or, or, or Brother Hill, one of the two. I don't care which, as long as you don't bother me with it. <laughs> Goodness and mercy and grace. David testified of experiencing God's grace wherever he went. Whatever adversity or trial came his way. God was good to him, like the rock that followed Israel through the wilderness. God's goodness and mercy followed David everywhere. We may also testify of God's goodness to us. Wherever we travel, whatever circumstances we find ourselves, His goodness and mercy are present. It's easy to testify of God's goodness and mercy when everything is flourishing and we're prospering and feeling blessed. However, they also are present when it, it's, it seems our world is falling apart. When do you need mercy and grace? He follows, he said he's going to follow him everywhere. But when I need mercy and grace the most is when things are falling apart. If things didn't fall apart, you would never understand mercy. You would never understand grace. Grace is opportunities. That's what it is. You can say unmerited favor of God. I don't care. To me, grace is opportunities. God gives me opportunities to get out of the mess I'm in. He opens doors, moves things out of the way. I can stand there and whimper and cry and feel sorry for myself, or I can step out of it. That's what grace is. Mercy, of course, we get mercy every day. Every day. Mercy was purchased on the cross. That's mercy. Thank God that we, we have that. And as a Christian rejoices in God's love and goodness, he should remember he is to share with others the blessings of the Lord. And as we travel through life following God, we must live in a way that elevates his goodness. And mercy as a legacy to others. It's always that way. To sheep, the idea of the house of the Lord was a sheepfold. 
It was a place of security and protection. No harm could violate them while they were secure in the sheepfold. To the Christian, the house of the Lord could have, could have many meanings. It may apply to our position in Jesus Christ, which is secure. It may also refer to the church where we worship with fellow believers. Or it may speak of our eternal home in New Jerusalem. But regardless, it, it works in all three. It works in all three. And I have security. I love to come into the church. I love the feeling of the church. I like to come in here sometimes by, uh, by myself and pray. I do it at different times. I, I enjoy that. There's just something about walking. I mean, I can pray in my office, and I do quite often, but uh, something about coming down here at the altar and just being able to walk back and forth and pray. Uh, I don't know, you know, what it is, whether it's mental or whether uh, there's just something special about it. I, I'm not sure. But regardless, it's where you feel the best. That's where you need to be. That's, that's the important thing. So he's our protector. And in every case, believers are secure and safe in Jesus Christ. He's our shepherd, our keeper. Some could point to terminal diseases that attack Christians or mention terrible accidents that sometimes take the lives of believers. And it's true. As a part of, of life, believers sometimes have to deal with these unfortunate experiences that appear to harm God's people. However, we must recognize that this world is not our home. That old song we used to sing, this world is not our home. We need, to for, we, we, we need not forget that. Bad things happen to good people. Good man had a heart attack. He triple by, bypass surgery. He didn't do anything to deserve that. It just happens. Probably genetics in his case. And it could happen. You know, you could step off this platform and drop dead. Does that mean God is any less? No. If there's any time that you need him more, it's in a time like this. This is what this is all about. Heaven is my home. This world, I'm just passing through. These leave just a little mark. That's all. So what's important is keeping ready for the place that God has prepared for us. I go to prepare a place for you where I am, you may be also. Stand with me. Never enough time Sunday morning. I talked to a few of you on, <clears throat> on Wednesday about possibility moving up service on Sunday night, but I'm going to put that on hold because it does put some people uh, at a bad disadvantage. Um, so we're just going to leave that alone and uh, just see, see what happens. God can, God can take care of all of situations, and we know that. I know that for some people I have a hard time seeing at night when this time goes the other direction. It gets darker earlier, um, so it makes it a little bit harder, I know, on some people. Uh, I, me being one of them, but I figured out something finally. I can't see with my, my truck, can't see. Night, my road's, road's all black now, doesn't have any lines on it. I can't tell where one end is from the other. So I decided to turn on my fog lights, and it made all the difference in the world. Now I've got a four-eyed truck. And uh, I can see a little bit better. And if I told my wife if I get away with putting lights on top of it, I'd do that too. But I'd probably get in trouble with that. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I understand that there is can can be some problems, but I also believe God will, will make a way for all of it. Don't you? Come early tonight and pray. Let's have some good church tonight. How many people promised me you'll come into His presence with thanksgiving and His courts with praise? Would you do that? 
Would you do that? All right. Let's just keep our hands to the Lord now. Lord Jesus, we praise you. Thank you for each and every one. Keep them, bless them, Jesus, as they leave here this morning, God, and also as they return tonight. I pray that you give your angels charge over them to keep them in all their ways, bearing them up, lest they dash their foot against a stone. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you.